is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I do what it tells me to do. And I love my Bible. So I make this confession. That I will meditate therein. Both day and night. On a chapter in the morning. And a chapter in the evening. And because I do. My life is blessed. It's no more a mess. Now everything I touch. Everything I touch. Now turns to success. If you believe that, shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, another opportunity to meditate your word together as faith family. We believe that not one word from you is void of power. When you spoke, creation sprung into existence. And because of that, we're asking you, to speak your word to us today. We need you, God. Help us to be better, to experience a better life than the one we've been living. So we ask that my speech and preaching will not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom. Let it be by demonstration of your spirit and of power that our faith not rest in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Put your hands together for all those. You may be seated. Amen. Put your hands for all of those that are joining us live on Facebook today. Amen. Thank you all for joining with us. Get your Bible. Cut off any distraction. I believe I've got a good word for you today in Jesus' name. Open with me in your Bible as we start a brand new series today in the book of Jonah. We're going to look at all four chapters, not today, over the next several weeks. But we're going to start in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1. This is the word of the Lord. And it's left in the scriptures for our benefit. Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, of course, we know that this is a story that actually really happened. And this is that story of Jonah that was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. Even Jesus referred to Jonah in his ministry. And we're going to ask the question, are you like Jonah? That when God comes and speaks to you, that you go in the opposite direction. And the question specifically is, are you like Jonah, running from God? What's so unique and interesting is, the Bible says that God came to him and just asked him to do something. Just came to him and said something to him. And his reaction was to literally go in the opposite direction of what God says. 
We do that oftentimes in our lives where God will say do this and we do exactly the opposite. He'll say, I want you to go there. We'll do exactly the opposite. He'll have us to to the, we're doing the exact. And not only did he do that, but he paid money to go in the opposite direction. Have you ever been there where it's costing you something to disobey or not do what God is instructing you to do? Not only that, he involved other people who there were people in his life that were helping him run from God. The Bible said that he ended up experiencing a very rough experience, going through a rough time in life because he's going in the wrong direction. He's running away from God rather than running to him. The other people that were in that ship, they, they didn't understand why it was so tough and where did this come from? Why are, why are we going through what we're going through? And they asked, and, and, and he spoke up. He said, it's me. I'm, I'm running from the Lord. Well, he told them that when he got in the boat. But they tried to help out. And sure enough, they said, well, what, what should we do? He says, you know what? Just throw me overboard. My point is, he got to the place where he would rather die than to do what God was dealing with him in his heart to do. He didn't have the end of the story like we do. He didn't know that there would be a great fish that would come and swallow him up and that he would be able to live through this rough experience and then come out on the other side and be right where he was supposed to be. As far as he was concerned, he'd rather die. He could have said, well, turn, turn back, take me back. I've got to go and do what God said. But rather than obey or do what God was dealing with his heart to do, he ran from God. Throw me overboard. Of course, God in his mercy prepared a great fish. We'll read that chapter this week. And then as we go on in this series, we'll look at the rest of that story. But in this series, we're going to talk about when we run from God. We're also going to talk about when we run from the call of God that's on our lives. Every person in this room and on the Internet at the sound of my voice, there's something God is inviting you to do. And so many of us run from that calling for the majority of our lives. So we're going to talk about not being like Jonah and running from the call but learning how to answer the call. We're also going to talk about running from responsibility and then also running from commitment as we see it in life. So my assignment, obviously, in teaching you about running from God is to teach you how to run to God instead of run from God. It's to teach you how to answer the call instead of sending God to voicemail. Wouldn't that be weird? Who's that? Oh, that's God. (laughs) But we do. And instead of shirking your responsibility, my assignment is to teach you how to accept it and how to make a commitment in life. Amen? But here's the question. Why would a person run from God in the first place? Just think, think, think about that for a moment. Why would a person run from God? 
We think about him being a good, good father. What about him would make you run from him? If anything, if he were to show up, it seems like you would want to run to him. But each and every one of us have been there where we went in the opposite direction of where God said. So this message is designed to really look at that question and help you answer it from the word of God. Number one, a person will run from God because of a lack of understanding, as you'll see it in the scriptures today. It's something they don't understand. And as a result of their ignorance, they go in a different direction. Or here's a big one. Because of sin. Maybe you've done something. Maybe you said something. Maybe you've gone somewhere or you've looked at something and. And when God shows up, you're going in the opposite direction because something that you've done. And then what about this third one? Selfishness. Each one of these three things are the reason why people run away from the one who has all the answers to all their problems. So, as you know, I want to show you from the scriptures why each one of these are the reason. And these are not just for you. These are for you. So you can identify areas in your life where you're going in an opposite direction than what God said. But also remember, God's word is not just for you. It's for somebody that you can help. And you may know people in your life. You may know people in your family that are not going in the right direction. This will help you understand why. It could be that they have a lack of understanding. It could be that they have sin in their lives. Or it could be that they're being selfish and not really realizing it. Amen. So notice here in Hosea chapter four and verse number six, the Bible says, God says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. Well, as, as we said, the number one reason why a person would run from God is because of this thing called the lack of knowledge. And over time, the Lord has helped me to really understand this verse of Scripture because I've spent time meditating and revelation has come to my heart. And I really want to share that with you. I want you to understand this verse because you are God's people. If I were to have you to raise your hand and by the show of hands, if you belong to God, most of us, if not all of us, believe that we belong to him. But notice what he himself says about his own people. He says, my people, not the world, not those that don't know me, those that are in a, in a, in a different way. No, my people are being destroyed. Why? Well, we know, most of us know that it's because of a lack of knowledge. Interestingly enough, it's not just the lack of knowledge. This verse talks about three things. It talks about you lacking knowledge. It talks about you rejecting knowledge. And it talks about you forgetting knowledge. The law of God is the knowledge of God. In his law, you find knowledge of God. So on all three of these, you'll find yourself in a place where things in your life are being destroyed. Why? Because of ignorance. Stuff you don't know. You didn't know. And it's being destroyed as a result. But not only that, for many of us, because we put ourselves in a place of hearing the word of God, stuff in our lives are being destroyed because we rejected what we knew. Or simply we forgot. I forgot that the word said do this instead of do that. I forgot that God said this instead of that. 
Now, the focus, obviously, is knowledge, a lack of understanding. And I believe it's one of the two main reasons why Jonah went in the opposite direction from the Lord. I believe because he didn't understand why God would have him go and and preach. And as we get into the story, you'll see and realize, yeah, there's some ignorance on his part. And there's possibly some selfishness. We don't see that he was necessarily in sin at the moment that God came. We know that it was a sin to go in the opposite direction of God. But at least we know he had some areas of ignorance in him. And that ignorance caused him to go in an opposite direction. Listen, folks. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 7 to get wisdom and in all your getting, get an understanding. It's so important for you to not be ignorant in life. Don't lack knowledge. Where are we going with that? Well, here's the lesson. Don't let your lack of understanding cause you to avoid God or the things of God. I was uh, ministering to someone. We were talking about speaking in other tongues and the Bible talks about that. But do you know one of the number one reasons why the majority of Christians have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit or speak in other tongues is because of what they don't understand. Immediately, they, 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 their mind calls to, to all the different things that they've heard about it, although it is the thing John said that Jesus was anointed to do. He is the one who baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. John baptized people with water, but Jesus baptizes, but people don't understand what it means to be baptized. What's going on? There's a lack of understanding. So as a result, because you don't understand it, you run from it. So what's the challenge? Get wisdom. If there's something about God or about the things of God or about the plan of God for your life or or about things that he's instructed you to do or not to do, don't run away from him because you don't understand it. Run to him. Ask him to show you what you haven't seen, to reveal to you what you have not known. Don't let your lack of understanding Keep you from God or from the things of God. Amen. But let's examine this question a little bit further. What would cause a person? Why would a person run from God? You ever heard uh, don't run from a dog? Now, when I grew up, you know, I was a kid and I, I don't know how, don't know who, but I would hear. And it's the strangest thing, especially for a child. If this dog is barking, bark, 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 bark. I mean, everything in your body is telling you, run, Forrest, run. But they say, don't run from a dog. Make a, it could make a, a, a situation worse. Amen. How about turn those three letters around? Don't run from God. That's great advice. I mean, how much, I mean, where are you going to, how fast do you think? Come on, y'all help me now with this. Matter of fact, the psalmist embraces this same question, this same idea. In Psalm 139, stanza 7, he says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I run from your your presence? What's interesting is that he said that uh, uh, Jonah fleed from the presence of the same words here. Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, how much sensitivism? Where can I go to get away from God? 
Did you know there's three things that make God God? He is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent. If you really want to know what set God sets God apart from any other thing, any other being in the, in the universe is no other being is this omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient. Let me break those words down. Omni obviously contains a universal sense. God is omnipotent. He has all power. What we just sang about. He created everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, the universes, the creatures on earth, under the sea, the birds that fly in the air. He is omnipotent. He is the creator God. But not only is he omnipotent, he's omniscient. He knows he has all knowledge. He knows everything about everything, past, present and future. He sees the end from the beginning. And this is what makes God God. We have partial knowledge. God knows your present. God knows your future better than you know your right now. He's omniscient. But here's the third thing that makes God God is he's omnipresent. He is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. He's in Houston and Honolulu. He's in Cyprus and China all at the same time. He's in Russia and Aruba. And you can just keep going. Matter of fact, the psalmist says in the next verse, he says, or in the next stanza, if I ascend into heaven, if I go up into the, into the, in outer space, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, if I go down to the depths of the earth, behold, you're there. Where can I, hey, you're there. Hey, you're there. Everywhere I go, you are there. And if you ever, if you've ever been there in life where you've, Gone to places that you shouldn't have gone. There was something in you that knew. Listen, just because you drive across town and close the shades in, in, in the motel don't mean that, 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 you, that you're closing God out. Oh, it's quiet in this shop. Just because you turn down the light don't mean that God can't see. He said, if I made my bed in hell, you're there. Where can I go to get away from you? How much sense then does it make for a person to run from God? Where are they going to go? Somebody say it's not smart. He said, if I get on an airplane and take on the wings of the morning, you're there. And if I dwell on a cruise ship in the uttermost parts of the sea, come on, you're there. So it's not a wise thing for us to try to run from God. Why would a person run from God? A lack of knowledge. Now, what's interesting is all three of these things are connected because a lack of knowledge will actually open the door for sin in your life. And sin truly is just the result of selfishness. I can't sin for you. I sin for me. Amen. And so why is it that lack of knowledge is an issue that we must address? The Bible teaches us something in Joshua chapter one and verse number eight. In Joshua one, this is why you should read your chapter every day, morning and night, because God said this book of the law, the word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Why? So that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Why? 
because then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now, let's back ourselves into this verse to make sure that we understand it. If I were to ask, how many of you all want to have prosperity and be successful in life? Most all of us, if not all of us, we want to be successful. Well, are you waiting for God to make you a success? Well, you shouldn't be because he's given you all that you need so that you can make your own self prosperous and that you can have good success. That's what the last part of that says, is that you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Well, how can I have success in life? You've got to do the other part. You've got to observe to do according to everything that's written in the word of God. Listen, if you do according to what the word says, you are going to be a success. If you do according to what God says in his word, you are going to be prosperous. Well, how in the world can I learn to do what the word says? I got to do the first part of that. I got to meditate in the word day and night so that I can observe to do what he said. And in doing what he said, I will be a success. Are you seeing that? So our lack of understanding, because not meditating the word to the point of clarity and revelation prevents us from doing what God says. And we, when we don't do what God says, we're not doing what he says, and that's a sin. Amen? <clears throat> so, let's talk about that second thing. The second reason why a person runs from God is because of sin. The example that we have that the Holy Spirit gave me was in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and verse number 8. Why? Do we run from God? It's because of sin. Who's our example? Adam. God told him, don't eat of the tree. If you eat of it, you'll die. Sure enough, his wife took of it, partook of it, gave it to him. He partook of it. And the Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God amongst the trees of the garden. What's that? Why did they hide from God? Because they sinned. And in your life and in my life, when we sin, there's something about sin that causes us to want to hide from God, to hide from the presence of God. But here's the thing. Didn't Jesus die for your sins? Didn't he die on the cross? So that you might be saved? Yeah. And then, in reality, sin is not the big deal. I'm about to show you two passages of Scripture that I pray that you will allow to be branded upon your heart. In Hebrews chapter 10, go there with me. This is something that you should forever remember. Because sin should not cause you to run from God. Because he's already paid the price for your sins. What I was taught, and thank God for good pastors and teachers in life. What I was taught when you sin, don't run from God, run to God. Yeah, you're here today and in church and I think that's great and you're listening online. I think that's wonderful. But all of us have been there where we said something we shouldn't say. You know, I I told myself at the last service, I need to talk more about cussing Christians. Now, I'm not looking at anybody particularly. I'm talking to the people that's on the Internet. 
and then everybody else in this section right here. Because when we say something we shouldn't say, when we do something we shouldn't do, we, we find ourselves backing away from God, and we shouldn't. Why? Because he's our help, he's our hope, and he's our answer. Look, look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. The Bible says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once and for all time. The reason why sin is not the big deal in your life or in my life is because Jesus paid the price for all of your sins once and for all time. What that means is if you were to go out here and do something you weren't supposed to do next week, Jesus is not coming back to the earth the week after that to die on the cross for that sin that you did next week. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, when he came down from heaven and was nailed upon that cross, hung his head and died and went down to the pit of hell, he did that for all of your sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins. So why in the world then would you let a present sin or even a future sin cause you to go away from the one who paid the ultimate price? Here's another passage. Every word should be based upon two or three witnesses. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, and I'm going to go slow enough so you can understand this. The Bible says in Colossians chapter two and verse 11, when you came to Christ, were you were circumcised when you came to Christ. Let's think about that for a moment. Make sure we read it with understanding. The Bible says this, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Just like you came to church. Maybe at some point in your life, you came to Christ. I don't know what that day was when you came to Christ or when Christ came into your life. Well, understand this. On the day that you accept Jesus, you were circumcised. But not, a phys- not the physical procedure. You can go down and have a baby, and if it's a boy, you can have that child circumcised. That's a physical procedure that you have to pay for it, too. I just found that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's an extra procedure beyond the birth. But he says when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But I'm not talking about a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. You are not the man or the woman that you used to be. What else happened when you came to Christ? The Bible says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Let's talk about baptism for a minute because you might be here today and you've come to Christ, but you haven't been baptized in water. Jesus said, whosoever is saved and is baptized, whoever believes and is saved, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism is not optional. Oh, I don't want to get my hair wet. In our contemporary Christianity, we can't abandon the biblical truth. If you're here and you've never been buried with Jesus in baptism, 
and raised to the newness of life. Let me encourage you. Fill out that baptism card. We'll give you a free T-shirt. <laughs> got baptism coming up on, on, on June 30th. You can come and hear some more teaching on, in a class on June 23rd. Because there's something symbolic and powerful that takes place. Listen to this verse. He says, so you came to Christ. Circumcision in your heart took place. And when you were buried with Christ, when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. He said when that happened, when you were saved and baptized in water, notice this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. Why? Because he forgave some of your sins. Your sins up until the day that you accepted him. Your sins up until the day that you were dunked and baptized in the water. He forgave what? All of our sins. All means everything leaves out nothing. That means he's dealt with your past sins. He's dealt with your present sins. He's dealt with your future sins. Sin is not the big deal in your life, and it's so important for you to understand that. Why? Because there's a natural tendency that when we sin, that we go away from him than rather than going to him. Because it's not a big deal, run to him. You, you say something you shouldn't say. You get beside yourself. You do something you ain't got no. You look at something you ain't got no business looking at. Repent of it. Go to him. Confess. Let him know I did wrong, God. I, 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 help me, right? And the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Watch this. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you really want to know what the big deal is, your sin is not the big deal unrighteousness is the big deal because he's paid for the sin sin's been dealt with but you've got to get the right the unrighteousness off of you can i talk to you about that for a minute this is so important for you to understand so the real reason why we run is not the sin the real reason why we run is because of the unrighteousness in order to understand what unrighteousness is, it's important for you to understand what righteousness is. Righteousness is your or my ability to stand in the presence of God without the sense of five things. Guilt, shame, inferiority, fear, or condemnation. It's the ability to stand before God as if sin has never before existed. We've talked about Adam and the presence of the Lord. And we've talked about Jonah. And the presence of God. When you and I do something we have no business doing, shame shows up. Guilt is present. We feel condemned because we know better. We feel inferior or that we're not worthy. Come on, you almost feel dirty. And then the last thing we feel when we sin is fear. So God forgave you of all your sins. But when you confess it, it allows him to cleanse you or wash off of you 
all of the shame, all of the guilt and the condemnation and the inferiority. Because if you leave that on you, you'll go in an opposite direction than what God said. Verse 14 says this about our sins, that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took away, took it away and he nailed it to the cross. Always remember that all of your sins have already been paid for. Now, don't be ignorant. Let me say it like they say it where I come from. Don't be ignorant. You get this great revelation. Oh, all my. You know how we are when everything is free. We eat more than we should eat. <laughs> we do more. You know, you see at a smorgasbord, I don't know if they call it that, all you can eat. You will gorge your silly self just because it's free. This doesn't give you a license to sin. You already had that license when you were born into this planet. God doesn't force you to do what he says. You have to choose to do what God says. But what this will cause, what it should cause you is to understand why God said One of the number one reasons why you don't want to do something you shouldn't do is because of the guilt, the shame. Condemnation robs you of your faith. And faith is how you receive everything you receive from God. You access his grace by faith. You can't afford to feel guilty because when you feel guilty, a tire blow out, you feel like you earned it. Oh, I'm preaching better than you say. Amen. Sickness and disease shows up in your body. It affects your ability to believe for healing because you feel like you've done wrong. And as a result of your sins, you deserve the punishment. You some bad thing happened. You feel like you're not, you know, and I'm not and I'm inferior and all of these things go on. And simply it's Satan using sin to rob you of your confidence in faith. Can I show you these five things in the scripture as a result of unrighteousness. In the book of Genesis chapter 2, shame showed up. The Bible said that when God made Adam and his wife, they were naked and unashamed. He said, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. But you find them one chapter later, they're making, they're taking plants and trying to cover their bodies, their nakedness, because they feel ashamed. They feel dirty. They feel like they have been wrong, right? Shame showed up as a result of sin. What else shows up? Guilt shows up. There were two men, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28, he says when he had come to the other side, now this is the presence of Jesus himself, to the country of the Gergergur, the Gersizen, I don't know how to say that word. I'm not even going to try it. When he came from the country of that place, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass away. So I want you to find Jesus is coming from one place to the next, and there's two guys show up, exceedingly fierce. The Bible says that suddenly they cry out, and watch what they say. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here, here to torment us before the time? Notice what happens. Guilt shows up. Jesus comes into their presence and all of a sudden they feel guilty. What's going on? They did something they weren't supposed to do. 
They've been involved in, oh, I'm preaching better than you saying amen today. They've been involved in something that they have no business doing. He hadn't even said anything, and their first reaction was like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you ain't supposed to be here right now. You turning over cell phones? Oh, it's quiet in this church. <laughs> What's happening? Guilt. It shows up as a result of sin. It'll cause you to run from God. They're pushing Jesus away. Jesus is their answer. Here's another one. Condemnation shows up. Jesus says this. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus doesn't come to condemn you for the things that you've done. He's paid the price for those things. Where does that condemnation come from? It's an immediate, inherent result of doing something you have no business doing. And you've got to get it off of you. And it's not God that's trying to put it on you. The Bible says in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only God. Verse 19 goes on to say, and this is the condemnation, that those that love darkness, they rather than light because their deeds are evil. The reason why we feel condemned is because of what we've been doing. And that condemnation will cause you, God has a calling on your life. God's got a plan for your life. He's been dealing with you about certain things in life and in ministry. And, and you've not heeded. You're going in the opposite. You've done nothing concerning it. Why? Because you feel condemned. What's the next one? A feeling of unworthiness. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8, the centurion who needs God, needs the presence of God to show up in his life on his behalf. He said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak a word and my servant will be healed. We just read of the story of in, in Luke where, where the, the boat was filled up with fish and, Jesus, and, and Peter fell down at the knees of Jesus and he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What's that? A feeling of unworthiness. Maybe before you say you were saved, you did some really, really bad things to people. Or you just did some really, really bad things. And now that you're alive and in Christ, you've not allowed that condemnation and that shame and that unword, that inferiority to be cleansed from your life. How it's cleaned is from the washing of the water by the word. That's why I take the time to show you what the word says so you don't have to feel like you're not worthy because of your past. Before he left glory, uh, Brother Egerton pointed this out to me last night. That the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Before God even said, light be, it was already done to redeem you back to himself. Thank you, Lord. So a feeling of unworthiness will keep you from doing what God would for you to do. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak a word and your servant may be healed. And then the last one is fear. When we sin, the Bible says that we'll have a fearful looking. We'll be like looking over our shoulders, it's kind of like riding down the street and you got five pounds of cocaine in the back. What do they say? Riding dirty, rolling dirty. I don't know how to say it. You ever see the. 
the police officer and all of a sudden you check your speed. <laughs> What's happened? There's a fearful looking. I might be doing something wrong. Let me check everything. Oh, I got the seat belt. Y'all say man to that. Come on. What's happening? There's a fearful looking. That's why we have that it's a it's a sense of fear. And that's it robs you of your faith. In Genesis chapter three and verse ten, God shows up. What did they do? He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I was I had fear. Why were you afraid? Because I disobeyed what you said. And as a result, what did I do? I ran from your presence. Are you all seeing this? So these five things are the real big deal. And you can deal with those by a simple prayer. We'll lead you in that in a moment. But let me go on. There's one other example. We read this in our chapter in Matthew 25, 25. He said, and I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Fear will cause you to run from God. Let me deal with the last one as I close. And we're doing good on time. Why would a person run from God? Why are you running from the call of God on your life? It could be because of a lack of understanding. It could be because of sin or the result of sin, unrighteousness. Or it could be that you're simply selfish. And I believe with Jonah, that it was likely either number one or number three. And there's some evidences of selfishness in his life. And it could be as it was in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 59, he said to another, follow me. This is God, Jesus himself, saying, come with me. I want to be in your prayer. I want you to be with me. I want you to go where I go. Wherever wherever I send you, I want you to go. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. We live in a me first culture. We live in a king me society where everything revolves around our creature comforts. And surely don't let other people and certainly not even God ask me to do something. That's beyond my desire. In the next verse in 61, he says, also another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. What am I showing you? From the word, we live in a culture of me first. God's dealing with you is not always just about you. He wants to use you to reach other people. When was the last time you witnessed to an unsaved person? When was the last time you cared for somebody beyond yourself or your own family? Jonah, I really want you to find yourself in that story. Because God came to him and asked him to do something. But because of a lack of understanding and selfishness on his part, 
he sinned and went in the opposite direction. Cost him money. Other people got involved in it. Got himself to the point where he didn't even care about life anymore. Why? Because he's running from the one who has all the answers. In Luke chapter 14 and verse number 18, but, uh, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excuse. What's your excuse? Right now, the children are being ministered to. We took the effort to really bolster the children's ministry to improve the quality of service so that other people can come and sit and receive the word of God. Well, I mean, children's ministry is one of the toughest ministries in the church. At least the ushers can hear me preach. The musicians, they can sit and receive the word of God. Those that are on the finance team or on special events team, they can at least be in the service and, and hear the word of God ministered or preached. But the children's ministry, they're there from before you get here, when you get here, and you know your kids. <laughs> I know mine. Handful, right? What's your excuse for not filling out the dream team card? Getting more involved. What's your excuse for not coming to really become family? Why do you keep a distance? Why, does, why nobody knows who you are in your church? Are we really your faith family? Or are we your fake family? God desires your worship. He desires us to be family. And he's dealing with you about doing more. And it goes beyond your, yourself. What's your excuse? Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to test them out. I took on a new job. I got a promotion. Or I, I, I got, I, I, another guy said, uh, I just got married. Therefore, I can't come. You know how that is. <laughs> In Luke 9, and you read it when you read your chapter. Jesus said, whoever puts... Their family before me is not worthy. They'll have a sense of unworthiness about them. You think you're doing the right thing that, well, I put my family first. No, God is first. Why? Because God can save your family from trouble. God can protect them from danger. God can keep them when you can. It should not be me first. It should not be them first. It should be God first. Amen. We ought to be, as Romans 10, 12 and 10 says, we ought to be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. And in honor, we ought to prefer one another above ourselves. Did you all get something out of the word of God today? Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and stand up on your feet.